uh, in front of you there. We're on page, as you heard from the reading, 1111. And we'll just have a look at this story this evening. Twenty years ago was a minor strike across the whole of uh, Britain and lots of my uncles were very active and involved in the union. Having just become a Christian, I had a chat with my uncle Harold. It was uproar, you can't imagine it now, because the lefties, which was all my family, were saying, right then, they're finished. Thatcher's finished. I know what's going to happen, Harold used to say, right at the start of the strike. He'd say, what'll happen, boy? He said, the bourgeois, he couldn't say it properly, the bourgeois are finished. Us workers will unite, Scargill will win, Thatcher will be out, and at last we'll get our inheritance. What do you make of that, boy? You know, as a boy like that, when your militant Uncle Harold speaks, you're not altogether too confident about putting the claims of Christ to him. <laughs> oh, I don't know, Harold. You'll see, boy. You'll see. This is the start of the strike. It lasted a year before it was over. At the beginning, it was great because uh, everybody was skint. So, the fact that you had no food was the same for everybody in the community. The union gave the food and it was fine, but six months, eight months, people start drifting back to work, it collapsed. Terrible, terrible breakdown of the community. Those who would go back and those who wouldn't. Terrible, fractured relationships that last to this day. Now you wonder why on earth started such a story. Because all through history, political activists have said, we can change the world. The world can be changed. The world can be better than this. And as we look at this story tonight, I hope we can unpack the fact that there is one worldview, there is one philosophy, some might call it. The Christian would call it one faith, which is the only way that the world ever gets changed for a long time. And that's what this story really is about tonight. Our background to the story uh, which we haven't got time, of course, to look at, is his verses, chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts, where Paul has been travelling around a region, a Roman region called Galatia, and he's just gone for it. He's gone to tell people about Jesus. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, is his revisiting. Have a look at it. He revisits places, verse 1, called Derbe, and then Lystra. Verse 2, Iconium. Paul has been to these places in chapters 13 and 14, told people about Jesus. People believed in Jesus, became a Christian. Paul revisits them to see how they're getting on. So that brings us up to our little story this evening. And then we come in at chapter 16, verse 6. <clears throat> they're travelling through Galatia, verse 6. And they're asking God, where now? Paul can't work out where they've got to go next. All he knows is he's got to keep telling people about Jesus who is so wonderful. Where now? Where now? And in those verses there, he came up with a bit of a dilemma. See, he was standing southeast in a place called Galatia, Turkey. He's standing at the southeast point. There's like a big motorway. You know what I mean, that's a metaphor. There's a big motorway. If he heads west, 
He'll come to some really big cities. Ephesus, Colossae, big centers of population. Thinks west, got to go to new places, go to the big cities. Can't, we don't know why he can't get peace. Can't feel he can go. If he went north, he'd come to a big province called Bithynia with two huge cities in it, in Roman terms. Nicaea and Nicomedia. No peace. And in those few verses there, as we heard them read to us, verse 7, they came to the borders of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. We're not told how. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. Now Troas was a total dive. It was like Swansea or something. It was, <laughs> it was like motorway there, motorway there, sea road here, up to the coast of Troas, but that's where they go, because they can't get peace to go anywhere else. So they get to Troas, and that night, look, verse 9, Paul has a dream, a vision of a man of Macedonia, which is a province across the river, across the sea, the Aegean Sea, from Troas. Macedonia, Greece. And he has a vision. And there's a bloke saying, come on, help us, come and help us. So he takes stock with his team. Verse 10, after Paul had seen a vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, let's just hold there for a minute now. That, we'll come back to the story about the miners. I'm sure the jigsaw fit at the end. They don't know where to go. They just know they've got to go and tell about Jesus. Do you know... When they went to Macedonia on the B road to the coast of Troas and then hopped over, this was the first time the gospel ever came to Europe. There's a great quote from Campbell Morgan, an old 20th century, early 20th century, middle 20th century preacher. And he said of this, the invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but no doubt it was in the mind of the Spirit, even then. Do you like that? God's in control of everything. Absolutely everything. Nineteen centuries later, the gospel starts to go from Europe to the whole world. And this book of Acts, written, written by a guy called... ...in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God knew even then that these guys would go into Greece, the gospel would take Europe because of the Roman Empire, and 19 centuries later it would flood to the rest of the world, and in the 21st century the rest of the world would come back to Europe to help Europe out. Which is what it's doing. And they had no idea even which way to go, but they obeyed and went to a rubbish place called Troas. In their opinion, probably. Perplexed tonight? Hmm, what's the plan? What should I do next? Not sure. Oh, God's in control of everything. Absolutely everything. He knows the whole lot. Oh, but it's not going right for me, man. I'm on a B-road to Swansea. <laughs> hey, don't rush too fast. Just keep doing the right thing. Honor God. Do the right thing, do things right every day. Do the right thing, do things right. Give your life to Christ, honour Christ, live for Christ. Let Him decide. He has a great plan, a huge plan. It took 1800 years 
For the gospel to go from Europe to the rest, with God as a couple of days or a couple of centuries, a zip. All he knows is that he's in control of the whole thing. And that never stops being true. And if you're not a Christian this evening, can I say to you that it is a controversial issue for many of us. We say, well, how could he be in charge if? But you know what happens when Christ is in you? You go, thank you, thank you that you're in charge because if I didn't know someone was in charge, I'd go absolutely bonkers that somebody holds everything in his hand. He's in charge of the whole works. Well, they go to Europe. A second heading is no more second class citizens. Come back at verses 11. Verse 11 of chapter 16. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed for Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia and we stayed there several days. Notice the we, the writers in the story. Luke's the writer, Luke's with them. When they get to Philippi, uh, they stay there several days and verse 13, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. This is the first time in this book of Acts, the history of the first part of the church's life after Jesus has left this earth, where when Paul goes to visit a new city, he doesn't go to a synagogue. That means that there weren't ten Jewish men who lived in Philippi. You needed ten Jewish males to form a synagogue. So this is a really pagan city. No Jewish synagogue at all. So he goes to the place where he thinks he'll find people at prayer on the Sabbath day, God-fearers, people who are honouring God. Women were there, certainly not ten men, no building, no synagogue. Sure enough, he finds people at the place of prayer by the river. And as he gets chatting with them, he meets Lydia. Now, interesting, uh, I won't go at this pace for the whole of the rest, because what I'm going to point out to you now is that there are three people named here who come to Christ in Philippi. Well, we can be certain two did. We don't know about the middle one, but we assume, and you'll see why, that she did. He goes to the riverside and he meets Lydia. And we'll see in a moment that Lydia becomes a Christian. Then he meets a servant girl. Chalk and cheese to Lydia. We shall see. He meets a demon-possessed slave girl. It doesn't say she becomes a Christian, but you'll see what in a moment why I think she, why it's implied she does. And then we meet a Roman jailer who gives his life to Christ. In the adventure of Philippi, three people become a Christian. It's very unusual for Luke to name people who profess faith in Jesus Christ when Paul's preaching in the city. Very unusual. Never elsewhere, as far as I can tell, does he actually name the people when it happens. But he does so here. Now stay with me for two or three minutes, cut through the Welsh accent, stick with the point, because this point now is dynamite for everything to do with Christianity and the miners. To do it, right, you just need to keep your finger where you are and flip over to 1170. 1170. Keep your finger in Acts 16. Let's go to 1170. Galatians, at the top, 1170, Galatians, second column of page 1170, and a little paragraph entitled, Sons of God, verse 26. Galatia is where Paul has just been on his trip, Acts 13 and 14, Galatia, 
preaching about Jesus in Galatia. But he had a terrible problem when he preached about Jesus in Galatia. Everywhere he went, people came behind him and said, this bloke doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't understand the true Christian message. He actually wasn't one of Jesus' apostles. And he said that you can just be a Christian by believing in Jesus. He's wrong. These people kept following Paul in Galatia, Acts 13 and 14, and saying this. He's wrong. Actually, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be a Jew. And Paul was furious about it. Because he said, you are wrong, not me. And he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter here. They reckon he was in Galatia in 48 AD. In 49 AD, he wrote this letter. Dynamite, isn't it? He wrote this letter. This is what he wrote to his critics. Verse 26 of chapter 3. He's writing to the church in Galatia with all this turmoil about what a real Christian is. And he says this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, or say, get this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jew nor Greek, male nor free, slave, no, wrong way around. <laughs> Too excited. Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Now then, back to Acts 16. Three people get converted in Philippi. The first three people converted are named in Philippi. Guess who they are? A woman, Lydia. A woman who's a slave, the slave girl. And a Gentile Roman jailer. Now then, this is fab. Acts 13 and 14, he's going around Galatia saying, Trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus, it's all you need. And behind him is people going, no, it's not enough. You've got to become like us. You've got to be like me, like a Jew, if you want to be a Christian, really. And in Acts 15, there's a big council and a big debate. And in Acts 15, they agree with Paul. Acts 15, look at verse 1, 1110. Acts 15, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. You lot have got to become Jews to be real Christians. There's more than just believing in Jesus. Paul has written about it. 49 AD, 50 AD. This council happens in Jerusalem. And the council of Jerusalem says, Paul's right. You don't have to be anything else than a believer to believe in Jesus. You don't have to be any class, any type of person, any type of race. Just believe it's enough. So in Acts chapter 16, when Paul went back to these places in Galatia, you can imagine him going back going, uh, can I have a word with you? You know the council in Jerusalem, all the big wigs in Jerusalem, they had a council, and guess what they all said? What? They all said, I was right and you were wrong. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's a bit more gentle than that. But he was excited about it. And so when Luke records this, Luke then says, and guess what the Holy Spirit did? He told Paul to go to Troas, to come to Europe, to go to Philippi. It's not even a synagogue. They get to the place by the river, and what do they meet? And see come to Christ, a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. The gospel is for everybody. Let's look quickly at these three characters. Lydia, chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. 
Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia would have been absolutely loaded. She's a woman, which is, you know, kind of normal, half half us are. But but at this point in history, a woman business person who had a house in Thyatira, which was miles away, but it was famous for its purple dye. And it was Rome, purple, posh, cool. So she was a saleswoman for purple dye. She's like Gucci of the day. She's got a house in Thyatira. And you see there, she's got a house in Philippi. She's absolutely wedged up. And the Lord opened her heart to be saved. She came to know Christ as Saviour. She feared God. And she came to know Christ as a Saviour that day. She said, come and stay in my house, boys. All of you, all the party. She had a big place. Come and stay at mine. A woman gets saved. Do you know a Jewish man, according to what we read of the time, would get up every day and say this prayer. Thanks God that I am not a woman, a slave or a Gentile. And Luke says that what happens when Paul preaches Christ is totally countercultural. And a businesswoman comes to Christ. And next, chalk and cheese. A woman, yes. A slave. A slave in all kinds of ways. She's a fortune teller. She's got the spirit of a python, is the original language. She was possessed. And she would speak in a different voice. And people would listen because she came on with a certain voice when she would speak. Because that's what happened in the temple of Apollo in Philippi. And as she spoke, people would say, oh, she tells the future. She has a spirit. And somebody had her in slavery and they were making money out of her. Spiritual prostitution, if you like. We heard the story. She came to know these guys and she followed them and she shouted for them. We're not told she became a Christian. But she's in the midst of two others who did. In the heart of a debate, right after Acts 15, where there's a big council, where Luke says to us, woman, slave and Gentile converted. How different were these two? Posh Lydia in a Gucci purple. Crazy nutter on the streets. Shouting out all sorts of things. These men are from the most high God. And the money she made went to her masters. Now that's different, isn't it? And then our third character, and we heard his story, is the Philippian jailer. Let's quickly turn to him. The guys are thrown into prison by the owners of the slave girl who manipulated a charge against them. And in verse 25, about midnight of chapter 16, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. We read there's an earthquake. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, saw the prison doors open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul shouts, don't harm yourself, we're here. Look at verse 30. He says, oh, what have I got to do to be saved? We don't know why he came to that conclusion. We don't know if he'd heard them speak in the marketplace. We don't know if he'd listened to them in Philippi. He'd listened to them singing hymns in jail. We don't know how he got to this point. How much he'd heard. But he knew there was something missing in his life. He would have been a middle class, retired Roman soldier. Where you've got a nice job down uh, by the seaside at Eastbourne or something. uh, In your retirement looking after a jail. 
Nice, comfortable pension, little bit of work, not too much grief. <laughs> Until there's an earthquake and all the prisoners flee. What must I do to be saved? You heard from the story that they go to his house, wash their wounds, he and his household are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great mistake it is that happens throughout all history when people say, you've got to become like me to be a Christian. You've got to become like this. You've got to add this. The Christian message is straightforward. Jesus Christ died on a cross because there isn't a person in this room this evening or in this city or in this country who hasn't got a heart that has shadows in it that mask the most awful tendencies that we just think will never escape them. They'll never leave us. For all our civility in public, for all our nice, polite behavior, underneath it all, in the recesses of one's home and one's life, is a, blah, a heart that, that crumbles in such a way that I would never tell you the five worst things I've ever did for a million quid. Would you? Let alone the five worst things we've ever thought. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross because that's what we're like and he wasn't and he took it all, all the punishment we deserve, he wiped it away, that God looks at us and sees him clean and says to us, you are accepted because of him. Period. But through all history... We've given people the wrong impression. Well, yeah, that's okay, but you better start dressing like me now. Or you better start fitting in with my sociological cultures. Or you better start just acting in this particular way here now, because this is what you've got to add to belief in Jesus. And Paul and Luke are adamant. You add nothing to believing in Jesus. Nothing. It's a radical message. It's a terrible message for the religious. A woman, a woman, a Christian, a Gentile, a Christian, a slave girl. Look at them in verse 40 at the end of the chapter. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. At least these three people were in this house. Man, they would never have touched each other with a barge pull if it wasn't for Christ. Not with a barge pull. Because once Jesus grabs hold of people, everything should disappear. Everything in the world should disappear. But the unity of Jesus at the centre of our lives. Wherever we are, whatever we've done, whatever our background, Jesus holds us as one. Can I tell you about Dennis Bailey? Dennis Bailey was 17 years old, playing at Crystal, Crystal Palace. 15 years ago, I should think. Dennis was a black Pentecostal boy, just broken into the first team. Palace were good. In fact, I was talking to my friend Huxley about it earlier, and we think he's about 14, 15 years ago, he scored a hat-trick at Old Trafford for Palace when they beat United 4-1. Not unusual these days. And, uh, oh, they won today, didn't they? Yeah, they won today. Uh, Dennis, uh, Chris Powell tells a story. Chris Powell is the left back now, he's old now, but he's still playing at Charlton. Chris tells a story like this. Christmas dinner at Crystal Palace. The chairman, Ron Lords, makes a little speech to the staff and, and so on. Ask the manager, Steve Coppel, to make a little speech. Steve, would you like to say something? 
Chairman, out of politeness, does anybody else like to say a word? Staff and families, Christmas do. Chairman. Dennis Bailey, 17, just got in the first team. Youngest by a mile. Dennis, stands up. Chairman, um, Dennis, what would you like to say? Everyone starts to giggle a little bit. But trying not to show it because the board of directors there and so on. He says, Chairman, um, I'm not a very good talker. He says, but um, it is Christmas and no one said anything about Jesus yet. <laughs> What's he going to do? Chris Powell tells the story. He says, we couldn't believe it. What on earth is he going to do? The chairman says, yes, Dennis. And he says, well, could I sing you a song about Jesus? Yes, Dennis, sing. Majesty, worship his majesty. Chris Powell, excuse me for being so crass, said at this point he was wetting himself. <laughs> no one could believe what was happening in front of their eyes. Out of sheer embarrassment for this poor boy, after he'd sung about three quarters of it, everyone started clapping, you know, as he would. Well done, Dennis, well done. Sang it again. Chris said he went home that night, lay in bed, couldn't sleep. Every time, you, you know that moment when you're just about to nod off, he just thought of Dennis singing. He said for the next year, all he thought about was, what possessed him? What possessed him to do it? What possessed him to do it? Every time he asked him, Dennis says, because I grew up in a home where we thought, really, you couldn't be a Christian if you weren't in our church. And when I became a professional footballer, I didn't imagine it was possible for somebody who was not in my church and who played soccer to be a Christian. I thought it was impossible that it could happen. And when I was at the Christmas dinner, my first year as a professional, I thought, but surely they've got to hear about Jesus. Why can't they be a Christian? They haven't got to be black or Pentecostal. They haven't got to come from South London or be posh. They just got to believe in Jesus, haven't they? And he got up and sang. Because he believed it. Now, it's not quite that you'd advocate that evangelism training things ought to be done, I grant you. But what a boy. What a team. As I close, looks nice because you can look across the chapel. Just cut, you don't have to catch eyes because we're all too embarrassed for that. But look across, look, 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 look around the room now. Harold was wrong, see? He was wrong. My uncle Harold was wrong. There's only one team in the universe that will never be defeated. There's only one team on the planet that ever lived that will last forever. There's only one team in this whole world where it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from or what you've done. Not one jot does it matter. Because Jesus Christ died on a cross for your heart and mine and whatever our external appearance and culture, it makes zero difference. We're all sinners. We're all lost without Him. He died for us all and anyone who believes is in the team. Male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Welsh or Scottish, anything 
You're in. Very nice upbringing. Terrible upbringing. Really decent person. Really horrible person. All one in Christ Jesus through faith in Christ alone. My goodness, is there anything better? If you're a Christian tonight, what a privilege is yours to have been brought onto this team. What a gospel. Good news is Christianity. Well, might I say in closing, I don't know, I may be wrong, I reckon maybe four types of people, maybe I'm wrong, I have no idea. Let's go A, B, C, D. A, oh, I agree with you, boy or... Bit long-winded, but all right. I agree with what you said. Agree. Funnily enough, these come next. Disagree. Absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish, fella. Well, thank you to both of you. A's for not falling asleep. D's for not heckling. <laughs> thank you, it's kind. B. Bothered. Bothered. This bothers me, this does. This bothers me. Believe in Jesus Christ, death on a cross. That's it. Believe in Jesus, and that's me sorted with God. That's all. Listen, I've heard this before. It troubles me. Good. It's a good thing to be troubled. These little journey into lives are on the racks on the stairs outside. If you've not picked one up before, pick one up. Have a look at it. Think a bit further. Think about coming to Christianity Explored. Talk to your friend who brought you. If you're bothered, keep pursuing that. It's madness not to, isn't it? Maybe some people will go, see, clear as a bell. Crystal clear. Like the penny just went, boom. I got it. I've heard it before. I've thought about it before. It's just, I've just got it. I've just got it. Jesus died for me. Not him. Not her only. Not him. Me too. Ah, oh, magic. Clear for the first time ever. Here's a prayer in the back of the little booklet, Journey into Life. Shall I read it to you and then we'll close our, we'll bow our heads, I'll pray it. And if you are clear, why don't you echo the words in just a moment. Let me read it out loud first. Lord Jesus Christ, I know I have sinned in my thought, word and deeds. There are so many good things I have not done. There are so many sinful things I have done. I'm sorry for my sins and turn from everything I know to be wrong. You gave your life upon the cross for me gratefully I give you my life back now I ask you to come into my life come as my saviour to cleanse me come as my lord to control me and I will serve you all the remaining years of my life in complete obedience well I'm going to pray that now and leave a moment for you to echo that in your mind uh, and just as we're finishing that uh, Richard will come back and lead us in our last song let's bow our heads and pray Lord Jesus Christ I know I have sinned in my thoughts, words and actions there are so many good things I have not done there are so many sinful things I have done 
I am sorry for my sins and turn from everything I know to be wrong. You gave your life upon the cross for me. Gratefully, I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to cleanse me. Come in as my Lord to control me. And I will serve you all the remaining years of my life. In complete obedience. Amen.